You're listening to the Renew Life Church podcast. We hope this message inspires you and challenges you to become a true disciple of Jesus. To find out more about us, go to renewlifechurch.com. Good morning. Everybody good? Happy Father's Day, men. If you're a father, would you just stand up in the room? We're gonna embarrass you for a moment. Just stand up. No, we're just gonna pray for you. Come on, guys. Stand with me this morning, fathers. Come on, can you celebrate the fathers in the room? Give them a loud shout. They're worthy of it. It's awesome. Hey, if you're by a dad, would you just lay hands on him? Would you just lay hands on a dad? If you came with your dad, for sure do so. Would you just begin to pray and release faith into the room, into the dad's? impartation of wisdom into dads. Father, I thank you for wisdom and how to raise families. I pray, Father, that uh, you would impart wisdom, supernatural wisdom into these men, God, just to how and, and how to lead their, their families, how to lead and father their children in a world that wants to rip them to pieces. I pray, Father, that there's a, 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 a significant ringing to the voices of fathers in this time. And it causes such a correction of course in children's lives that our children walk so far on the other side of the street of what everybody else is walking into that those people that once got into trouble come to our children for freedom. But it's coming from the voices of fathers. I pray, God, that you would anoint our tongues as fathers, God, that we would be the ones who are creating worlds that look like heaven with our tongues to our children, to our wives, to the people around us that we have been given the luxury of doing life with. God, I pray for health and wholeness to permeate our bodies. I pray, Father, for longevity of life in Jesus' name. Yeah, I pray, Father, for the, the cracking ankles and the cracking knees in the morning, Lord. I pray that you would oil all of the things. Oil us naturally, oil us spiritually. I pray, Father, that you would just continue to move strongly on our behalves, God, that you would just, that you would just do something in this time of fatherhood that's not been done by any father before us in our families. Even if they were good ones, even if they did things right, God, I thank you that you would show up in a way for us that it continues to cause an inheritance to come upon our families that comes from you. And I pray these things and I release them. We release them by faith in Jesus' name. If you agree, give me a good amen and celebrate the dads one more time. Amen. Super fun to be here on Father's Day. Thanks for for joining us this morning. Wasn't worship incredible? Can you give it up for the worship team? Wow, super powerful. Uh, If you have a Bible, you could go ahead and turn with me to Luke chapter four. Luke chapter four, if you have a Bible, just simply open that up. It's gonna be on the screen behind me if you didn't bring your Bible, but I would love for you to start bringing your Bible if you don't, because this is church where we read the Bible. So that's always 
It's good to have. You've got to know what it says. See, you can know what it's saying. Anyway, Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 29 is what we're going to read. It says, Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. How you know it's good to return filled with the Holy Spirit's power? He said, reports about, him, um, reports about him spread quickly throughout the region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went, out as, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down like a boss. Just all eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Everyone spoke well of him and were amazed by, his, by the gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be, they asked. Isn't this Joseph's son? Then he said, you will undoubtedly quote me this proverb, physician, heal yourself, meaning do miracles here in your hometown like you did in Capernaum. But I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. Certainly there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow, and Zarephath in the land of Sidon. And many in Israel had leprosy in the time of Elisha, but the only one he healed was Naaman, a Syrian. When they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill which the city was built. They intended to push him off over the cliff, but he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. Wouldn't it be nice to just be able to just walk through a crowd of people, like just like from here to there and just went right through the middle of them when they're, that's exactly what Jesus did. Um, that's not even what I'm preaching about. I'm not preaching about that thing. But it'd be really fun. Superpowers one of these days. Um, as I thought and prayed about today, what I would share for Father's Day, I, I went to just some friends, some guys in the church that are, that are doing life well, and I just asked them, I'm like, hey, what do guys want to hear on Father's Day? What do guys want to hear on Father's Day? And some of the responses I got were very, very comical. Super comical. I'm, I'm going to read some of them. And I'm going to keep these guys uh, un in, in just a, uh, a very, very close to my heart. I'm not going to tell you the names because I don't want them to have to go into protective hiding or custody or anything like that. First topic, wives, submit to your husbands. <laughs> Amen. Amen, he said over there. Yes, Lord. Second, second suggestion, the concept of wives. Your body is not your own. Not withholding one's body from one another. <laughs> That's a good one. This one got me though. Can you talk about how the devil didn't ask to take Job's wife away from him, just everything else? Anyways, there's that one. <laughs> we need wives, amen? 
come on guys, we need wives. No, the, the, it was really funny, it was really lighthearted, but they also then turned it towards, man, it would be really, really good to hear some things about uh, men running into their true identity as fathers running into their true identity as sons. And so that's what I wanna spend some time doing. Uh, I, wanna, I wanna talk today about identity and I hope to share something that I believe is the second most important thing next to uh, finding Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And that, that is uh, understanding and passing on godly identity. It's not just for you, but it's for them. It is for you first, but it's going to be for them too. And we're gonna find some things out. There's some things that God said to Jesus that he said to Jesus so that he could actually eventually say to us. And, and so I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna, just gonna dive into to what I wanna share this morning. So uh, Father, I thank you. Your word is true. And I believe that your word transforms and changes. And I ask you to, to, to release the transforming power, the transformative power uh, of your word into this space right now. I pray that as we dive into the topic of identity, God, that you would, you, would, you would cause it to go deep, deep, deep down inside of us, that it would not be uprooted. I think that you would anoint us, God, as hearers and as, as speakers, that we would come uh, out of this moment looking more, thinking more, and acting more like you've designed us to look. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, if you don't know me, I was born and raised here in Midland, Texas, which is, which is kind of a, a funny thing anymore. Like as you meet people and you're like, where are you from? They're not from here. And you tell them that, that you're from here and they're like, oh, that's really strange. I don't meet very many people from here. I would say this, like pastoring a church in the town that you were born in and you grew up in, it, it's, it's a bit of an odd thing. There are people that I run into that n- knew me prior to, and I'm not gonna go into details about what that was like, but uh, let's just say I was probably not going to be uh, uh, voted by my peers to be a pastor when I was in high school. <laughs> Least likely voted to be pastor. I had a bit of a, a reputation and kind of one of those attitudes that I would just try anything, you know, and those two things, they don't necessarily lead to uh, pastoring. They lead to needing pastored which I still need regularly, often. Um, My life was like the lyrics of a song that I once heard. (laughs) I got baptized in beer and I need to testify because I came home and I was speaking in tongues last night. That was kind of how my, that was kind of how my life was before Jesus, but like Paul said, uh, but it's for the grace of God that I am what I am. Uh, But it's funny and, and an awkward thing to to run into people that I, that I grew up with, went to, to school with. I was thinking about a guy the other day and I ran into him at HEB of all the places because that's where the Lord's people shop is at HEB. And so uh, I was doing the Lord's work at HEB and I hadn't seen this guy in a very, very long time. And, and th- in fact, one of the last times that I had seen this guy, uh, we, we actually grew up together, went to like grade school together, went to high school, all these things. And we kind of went a slight bit different way. Uh, there were some things that I weren't, w- wasn't willing to try and there were some things that he was trying. And I went to a party once and he was there. And I uh, walk in and, and, and on the table, this guy in high school, he's got eight lines of cocaine. And uh, I'm like... What are, you, what, are you, what are you doing? I'm not gonna say his name. He don't even go by a real name now. He goes by like a, an animal name or something. And so anyways, um, I said, what are, you, what are you doing? He's like, I'm gonna do all of this. I'm like, no, you're not. Not in front of me, you're not. And he was already 
out of his mind, kind of wasted, and I was like, you're not doing that in front of me. He's like, you're gonna watch, yada, 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 and I was like, I bet you don't watch this. <laughs> and I blew, and there was this white cloud all of a sudden in the air, and a fight on our hands. Um, so that was one of my last encounters with him, and he sees me at H-E-B, and he's like, oh man, what are you doing now? And I'm like, yeah, I'm pastoring a church. And he goes, because it's like he started doing math in his head or something. He's like, I carry the one. Like, that doesn't compute with me. Like, how, how, how is that even possible? And, and we, we find ourselves as Christians a lot of times in places like this. I bet you're the same. It's like you run into one of those people that you, that you knew and they're asking you the questions like, man, are you, are you still going to such and such bar with so-and-so? And you're like, no. you know, man, I'm just not about that life anymore. It's just Jesus and Chick-fil-A from here on out. Like, just, just, I don't know what to tell you. I'm just living differently. It's just Jesus and Chick-fil-A. But it's interesting, and have you ever noticed that, that to some people, you are what you always were? We, we run into this often, especially in our hometowns. If you're, you're the type that goes back and visits your hometown, I bet you that there are people that you see and they have that perspective that you are what you were. And Jesus kind of saw this happen. It's that, that, that thought of you're always 17 in your hometown. You're always the weasel that just barely graduated high school. Uh, you're you're the, the, the one that, that is known for that one incredible thing that you did in high school that maybe you still glory in a little bit. Uh, you have this stigma about you that, that you are the same. Maybe you're remembered as the, the guy that graduated. This is not anybody here. You're the one that graduated and then the, the year after you graduated, you cruised the school during lunch in your Mustang with your white sunglasses on and your window down. But by the grace of God, now you are who you are and those are the old things. We're not gonna talk about old things. Sorry, that was, that was too far. But it's a real thing though. People and things want to remind you of who you are. And the, the challenge is that sometimes we start believing them. As fathers, I'm talking to you today, but I believe that this is for everyone, but there's a lot of times, especially the people that seem to be the closest to us or know, this, know us the best or have known us the longest, they have this tendency to want to remind us of our shortcoming. And if we're not careful, we start believing that we are our shortcomings. And that's simply just not the true. Um, in today's message, I'm titling it, is this not Joseph's son? Because even Jesus was put in positions where people wanted to hold him to the earthly standard or earthly identity as Joseph's son and not the son of God. To give you some context for what we read and kind of what happened prior to what we read in Luke chapter three, we see Jesus gets baptized by John the Baptist. And in this moment of being baptized, we, we, we remember this. He comes up out of the water, and when he comes up out of the water, we hear, uh, we read that, that the Father said, you are my beloved son. This is an identity statement from the Father. You are my beloved son. In you, I am well pleased. We remember this. Then in Luke chapter, 20, uh, Luke chapter 3, verses 23 through 28, it gives us Jesus's, the, the, the genealogy of Jesus, and it starts like this. Now, Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age, being as was supposed the son of Joseph, comma. 
And then it goes on to list 77 generations from, from Jesus to Adam. I think it's interesting, the number seven alone is the number for perfection. It's as if God was saying, I started with perfection in the garden, it got messed up. So I'm gonna end with perfection in Jesus. Double sevens, two types of perfection, but I am going to make sure that, that my stamp of perfection is on the next Adam, who is Jesus. But it gives us 77 generations from Adam to Jesus. And, and, and so Luke chapter three, verses 23, it starts with Jesus, but it ends as the Son of God. So you could read it as, now Jesus himself began his ministry about the age of 30, being the Son of God. But what we, then we, then we go into Jesus being tempted by the devil in the wilderness for 40 nights. And there was this one thing that the enemy kept throwing at Jesus. This was the, the, the phrase that Jesus kept having to deal with. And the devil kept saying this to Jesus. If you are the son of God, then. If you are, then. It was as if the enemy was attempting or, or tempting Jesus to deny his sonship. If you are the son of God, in other words, are you really the beloved of God? And is he really pleased with you? There's always the subtleness of these kinds of questions. And so that kind of catches us up to what we read today. And I'm gonna read a portion of that that we started with one more time because I just wanna make sure that we, that we have some understanding because there's nothing that we go through on earth that Jesus didn't go through before us. And that Jesus returned to Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit's power Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home or his hometown, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. In the scroll of Isaiah, the prophet was handed to him and he unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal, to, to proclaim the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and he sat down. All the eyes of the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Meaning, I am the one that Isaiah wrote about saying, the spirit of the Lord, it's upon me. I am that guy. Everyone spoke well of him and they were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. And then all of a sudden, someone's like, how, how, how can this be? Isn't this Joseph's son? As if to say like, I know Joseph, and I know where Joseph came from, and I know ain't nothing coming out of Joseph that's got the Spirit of the Lord upon him, that's fixing to change all these things. It's as if like, all of a sudden, someone needed to remind Jesus the accusation of, oh no, 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 no. Those sound good, but after all, you're just this. You're just the son of a carpenter. 
you're, you're, you're actually not the one, you're, you're not what he was prophesying about Jesus. Why? Because there was this familiarity, there's this familiar spirit that said, because I know you, I know who you actually are. And it is not the beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And I'm telling you this today because these are the places that you're going to get tempted often in your life. It's in moments like this when Jesus had the ability, just like when he was tempted by the enemy, he had this ability to to find his place in knowing that I am the beloved son, the one who God is well pleased. And it's in that moment that that statement that came from God had more impact than their identity denying statements that they were releasing over him. I wonder often how, how many times do we agree with identity denying statements, not identifying statements, identity denying statements. If it's, if it's said that 68, we have 68,000 thoughts a day, 85% of those they say are negative thoughts, and 90% of the 85% are recurring thoughts, I would wonder how often we're agreeing with identity denying statements on a day-to-day basis as fathers, as, as mothers, as people. The point is this, like Jesus, you will constantly be reminded of your natural identity, but natural is not who you are. And we're gonna dive into some things that are, are, are things that I'm sure that you know, but you are a three-part being. You are a spirit that has a soul that lives in a body, amen? When you die, Ecclesiastes 12 verse seven says, then shall the dust return to the earth as it was. If you remember the way that, that God created uh, Adam, he, he literally created dust and he, and he breathed life into the dust and he created man from the dust of the ground. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was and the spirit shall return to God who gave it. So your body And once again, I know that I'm talking about some things that you probably know. Your body is placed on the ground when you die, but your spirit returns to God from where it came. Then based on your confession and belief of Jesus while you're on the earth, God will either welcome you into heaven or he will turn you over to Satan and to hell. This is what the Bible says. You are not a natural being, you are a spirit being that has a soul and lives in a body. Your identity is perfect in God the moment that you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That is your identity, that is who you are. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Your spirit, is what became new and perfect upon salvation, not your body and not your soul. This is evident around, around us, even in this room, because bellies, bald spots, receding hairlines, they didn't all of a sudden go away when you got saved. <laughs> like, don't talk to me like that. Listen, I'm talking to me like that too, okay? But they didn't, they didn't just, they didn't, those didn't become perfect. They didn't all of a sudden just get slim, full head of hair, and everything was front and center. Still a little bit back. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it just is what it is. But your soul is the same way. Your mind, your will, your emotions, they, they didn't become brand new and perfect when you got saved. They are a work in progress, if you will. They are in the process of, of becoming what they should be. And that's what the word is for. The word of God is the thing that, that you're to utilize so that you're transformed by the renewing of your mind. Renewing your mind to the word of God. The word should be the standard that your soul is subject to so that it will change your thinking, change your feeling, and change your doing. Your spirit is perfect. Your body, your soul are not. Y'all tracking with me? I know this is foundational stuff that you probably know, but we need to keep knowing it. Don't forget it. Our soul is constantly being pulled towards conformity to the world standard, and we have to fight that. And we, we see this in uh, culture, we see this on the news, we see this social media, it's like this constant thing of like, I mean, whatever you, th- just do whatever you think is right. Yeah, I mean, if, if it feels good, sure. Yeah, you should go with your gut. You feel it, you feel it right in, you feel it in your gut. Yeah, go with your gut. It seems to be right, I mean, it's your body, it's your choice. Except it, it's not. It's supposed to be presented as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to the Lord, for this is the reasonable act of worship. And that's not a recent study, that's Romans chapter 12. You are not what you can see or what you can feel. You are a if you're a born-again Christian, you're seated with Christ in heavenly places. That's who you are. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 through 10. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship. That's really good. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Colossians chapter three, verse three, it says this, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. That's what happened when you received Jesus. You said, I'm choosing to die to my old way of living so that I can receive your new way of living. I'm dying to myself and I'm clothing myself in new life that is Jesus. And according to Colossians 3, you died in your life is now hidden with Christ Jesus. You are a spirit. And that spirit is new and perfect if you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You are untouchable in terms of your identity. If that is what your identity is based on, what God did for you and you're choose, choosing to believe in that. We have to settle these things that you're not your failures, you're not your wins. Although they're good, you're not your wins. 
You're not your reputation, good or bad. You're not your lusts, as much as you hate them. You're not your mistakes, you're not your thoughts. What you are is the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's actually what you are. You're in right standing with God because of Christ Jesus. That's who you actually really are, and this is good news. I want you to just say this with me. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Continue to make sure that you declare that thing. Declare that truth when the accuser tries to convince you that you are something other than that or that you should be ashamed. You have to say out of your mouth, not think this. Your words create worlds. You have to create some things with your words and you say, no, 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 I might feel that, but I am this. In his truth, it supersedes anything that I can feel. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. This is important to understand because if you can be talked out of who you are, you'll never be talked into what you can do. I want you to think for a moment, what if Jesus would have thought longer about Satan's comment of, if you are the son of God, and it caused him to go a different direction? Would we have just been able to celebrate communion saying, Jesus, I remember your broken body and your, your spilt blood for me? It, his, his belief in the identity statement and in, in keeping that close to his heart, believing I am who he said that I am, it afforded him the, 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 the power and the empowerment to actually do everything that he did for us on the earth. If you can be talked out of who you are in Christ, you'll never be talked into what you can do through him. And he said that you could do all things through him. There is a lot available to us, but it comes from right believing about what he says about us. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's interesting as fathers, we often, we, we think about our kids. If you're like me, I think about my kids often and, 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 I, and I wonder, and I get myself like, get into this rut of thinking like, am I setting my kids, am I setting them up well? And it's really simple to, to fall into to, to the rut or the, the ditch, if you will, of what is success? And if I'm being really honest in these moments, I'm thinking, I'm thinking monetarily, I'm thinking uh, material. Am I setting it up in, in, a, in a way where they're gonna be taken care of in a mon monetary way? And if I'm being honest, there's times that I feel like I'm failing at that. And if I'm being more honest, when I feel like I'm failing at that, I begin to agree with the accuser that says, oh yeah, this is just the son of Joseph. Oh yeah, yeah, mm, man, sucks because yeah, your kids are probably gonna be set up like you were. Oh, yeah, shh. different day, same guy, same result. If you're not careful, you start believing false identity statements about yourself, things that the Father would never say over you. As I was writing these notes and I was thinking about all of these things, and I've quoted this multiple times throughout this message, but 
when I wrote out what God said to Jesus when he came out of the water, he said something different to me. He said, when I wrote, you are the beloved son, my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, I heard the father just say, write it up in me, Cody. I said that to Jesus so that one day I'd be able to say that to you. I would just declare that over you too. The father said some things to Jesus and Jesus believed them in such a way so that someday the father would be able to look at you and say, you are my son, my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. That is, that's who you are. And that saying is true today. Regardless of your past, regardless of your failures, regardless of your wins and your losses, regardless of things that you've thought before you walked into this room, you are the beloved of God and he's well pleased with you. That's who you are. I need to close. Um, early on in this message, I, I said that I was preaching this because I believe that next to knowing Jesus, understanding and passing on godly identity is extremely important. I wrote this as I was preparing yesterday. It says, our children long for us on the field of play, but we aren't in the game because we've been sidelined by the accusations that tell us we are something wrong and that we don't have what it takes. Now we're so focused in our day-to-day -day lives on proving people wrong and that we have what it takes, that we have no capacity for our children or our wives. This is due to the exhaustion that is brought on by striving. All the while, Jesus is pointing at the cross saying, I had what it takes and I freely gave it to you. Settle your identity in me and what I accomplished for you so that you can pass sonship on to your children. The alternative to grace which makes all of these things available to us is self-effort. And self-effort is robbing our children from an inheritance of identity. Dads, will your children receive a birthright or will they receive a birthright? Uh, that seems pretty stout and pretty heavy, but there's an urgency for us to settle in the fact that there's nothing that I could have done to receive what Jesus did for me on the cross. And if I don't step out of this mindset that I made this happen, I made the phone calls, I did the deals, I have what I have because of what I've done, I will pass on to my son a worthright, meaning that son, if you don't do these things, then you won't actually believe or even hear that he is well pleased with you because you didn't do well. You didn't work well, you didn't provide well. Yes, should he do those things? 100%, but when he fails and he doesn't work well and he doesn't perform well and he doesn't uh, provide well, what he has to default to is I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am the beloved son of God in him and in me he is well pleased. He cannot settle on ungodly identity statements being the thing that he wakes up and goes to sleep with every morning. The world is going to do all of those things for him. By his father, he has to receive an inheritance of identity. And I would say it's the same of yours.
I know this is a bit of a heavier landing, but there's nothing more important than us to give to our kids than Jesus and them knowing that he is well pleased with them because it is the foundation for everything. It is the foundation for how I will live. It is the foundation for how they will treat their spouse. It is the foundation for how they will treat their bosses. If it is the foundation how they will receive criticism. It will determine if they follow their feeling or they follow the word. This is all that we have and we have to figure out a way to become so sound in it and understanding of it that we can give it away so that our kids actually have something to build their lives onto. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you felt encouraged by today's message. If you need prayer or would like to connect with us, find us on social media or by going to renewlifechurch.com.